Proverbs chapter 9 is our scripture text this, this evening. Proverbs chapter 9, I'll just read the first six verses. Proverbs 9, hear the word of our God. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She also has furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat my bread, and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live, and go in the way of understanding. The grass withers, the flower fades, this word of our God endures forever. Uh, about seven years ago, it was seven years ago because it was when we, I moved here, I, I was reading a, a big book, The History of Holy Communion. This isn't the title, but the, the History of Communion in the Reformed Tradition. I know that doesn't sound like everyone's top choice for a book to read, and, and it's, it's a big book, and you think, is there that much? I think Jesse said, how is there that much? To, to write about that topic. Uh, but, but there's a lot to write about this wonderful sacrament. And I don't think we think about it much. And therefore we, we are astonished at a book that big. Or, or maybe how are, how are we going to have 12 different sermons on the same topic. One a month for a year and not run out of, of uh, biblical thoughts. Um, One of the things that struck me as I read that book was there's a whole section on John Calvin looking at this table as the feast of wisdom, as a place of wisdom. And my first thought when I heard that was, is that going to get moralistic really quick? In in what way is, is the Lord's Supper a wisdom feast? Because that seems like that could get to a a moralistic place. I think probably that's why we don't hear many talking about this sacrament as a wisdom feast in our day and age. Especially in Reformed churches, in the past 50 years we've been very skittish about the concept of wisdom literature and scripture even. Because we're afraid we're going to get moralistic with wisdom literature in scripture but calvin calvin looked at the the literature of john especially the gospel of john and the epistles and he saw there a strong pull to our passage tonight i think he saw there something we we ought to look into john in his gospel is very wisdom focused. 
you, you get that feel of John being different than the other three Gospels. And you get it with the first chapter, don't you? The, the prologue sounds different. Sounds a lot like certain parts of Proverbs, doesn't it? There's an aspect of imagery that John uses that, that is similar to Solomon's style of wisdom. And that continues through John's gospel as he presents things that Jesus said that for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit didn't put in the other gospels. And extended discussions by Christ. For example, Christ talking about himself as bread in John chapter 6. And it has a very clear kind of pull to the kind of text we just read. I don't think we think that when we're reading John 6, because there's a lot of other things we can think about with it. We can think of the connection he makes to to manna. We can think about uh, all those unbelieving Jews and how they don't appreciate what Christ is saying or understand him. And, and even the, the, why did Christ say it this way? Because didn't he know it was going to sound a little cannibalistic? Uh, there are a lot of things we, we can think when we're looking at John 6. I doubt many of us say Christ is speaking words of wisdom here because it is so intricately tied to the gospel. Uh, but John 6 has been long understood by scholars to be John's anticipation of the sacrament. John is the only gospel that doesn't include the institution of the Lord's Supper. But he does include Christ saying much about his body and you needing to partake of his body in John chapter 6. Well, John 6, like other things, again, is, is very intricately, linguistically, uh, uh, grammatically, stylistically tied to Proverbs 9, 1 through 6. And so let's think about that text a little bit. In John 9, I'm sorry, Proverbs 9, we have that imagery that Solomon likes in the book of Proverbs of Lady Wisdom, the gorgeous woman, Lady Wisdom, the pure woman, Lady Wisdom. Remember, the initial uh, uh, audience is probably teenage boys. So if you want to come up with imagery that seems to, to really grab hold of teenage boys, you could talk about the, the appeal of sin, the tempting nature of sin as a, well, a, a vile, adulterous woman who says, come into my house, no one's going to notice, you're never going to get in trouble, you're never going to get caught. And all who go to her are mighty men who die. What, what an amazing imagery to tell a teenage boy, temptation is strong and it's deadly. It's a glorious way of driving home that, and in the same way, then the opposite to present to a teenage boy, here's a pure, wonderful woman, Lady Wisdom. You want wisdom. <laughs> She's the one that gives life. She's the one that fills you with uh, joy and uh, an everlasting joy. And so you have Lady Wisdom presented in Proverbs, and here she builds a house. It's a house that lasts, it has seven pillars. 
Now, this is a place you can live. And it's not going to fail you. She's not going to slip away next week and be gone forever. This is a woman you can trust. Wisdom doesn't change. She dwells secure in this house she has built. And she offers great value. It's possible to be very intellectual and offer nothing valuable to society and to others. But wisdom always cries out in the streets and offers something very valuable to the simple who will hear. Turn in here to those who lack understanding. Come eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. She is here offering them the gospel. It's the gospel. Now, it's the Old Testament. So this symbolism of Lady Wisdom doesn't explain to you who the bread is and who the wine is, but she offers the good news of the gospel. You are simple. I have something you need. And it will fill you. And it will give you life. And John comes in and shows us Christ applying all of that to himself. Can we doubt when we turn to the Gospel of John that Christ is intentionally picking up this language and making it clear that what wisdom offered is found in him? We need to remember when we hear the word wisdom with relation to Scripture that we don't need to tremble about moralism because biblically wisdom is in Christ. Remember? Christ who is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians. And Christ who is the wisdom of God stood up and said to a group of people who foolishly just wanted a loaf a day. And he says to them, In John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Do you hear? You simple, turn in here. I won't cast you out. I won't call you stupid and slam the door in your face. All who are simple, come. There's room here. For I have come down from heaven, Christ continues, not to do the will, my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him 
may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? Therefore, Jesus answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Doesn't that sound like wisdom? (laughs) They'll be taught directly by God. Not the foolishness of this world. Christ continues, it is written in the prophets, they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, he who has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And then just one chapter over in Gospel of John. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I I hope you see Calvin's right. Jesus is declaring himself the wisdom of God. He is speaking as this imagery of Lady Wisdom spoke of old. He is tying himself in to wisdom doctrine. And he's doing so with relation to the bread which is his body and which he gives for the life of the world. And his blood which is the life-giving stream for the world. The wisdom of God. But notice what Proverbs does. Lady Wisdom in Proverbs. Helps if I'm in Proverbs. Lady Wisdom draws us to Christ, the bread, the wine. But notice where she takes us from there. Come, eat my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live, and go in the way of understanding. See how Lady Wisdom brings us to the gospel of Jesus Christ, his body and blood, but doesn't 
do so in a, in a barren manner. Here you are. Here's Christ. The, the, the way to be saved. And here, have communion. The reminder of Christ's death. But then she says, now, go back out there. Different. Go back out living in wisdom and understanding. Be transformed by Christ's body and blood. We could choose to not use the phrase the the feast of wisdom. We could just say gospel. Because that is the gospel in the Bible, isn't it? The gospel is never just get saved. The gospel is salvation in which the Holy Spirit transforms everything about you. Now, a big part of that sanctification that will take the rest of your life until you see Christ face to face, it's a slow process of sanctification, and yet the call is not to be lazy about it. Wisdom says, partake of Christ and then grow in understanding. Live it out. Pursue it immediately. Seek his work in you. In fact, did you catch that's exactly what Christ does in John 7? Come to me, everyone who thirsts. I am the water, he says. And then then the Holy Spirit says this. He spoke of the Holy Spirit. Has that ever confused you? One verse Jesus is saying, I'm talking about me. The next verse says, but he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And obviously Jesus wasn't wrong. But the point there is that those who come to Christ and drink receive the Holy Spirit dwelling within them and that Holy Spirit will continue the work of making them wise in Christ, of sanctifying and making us holy. All of this about the the reality, Christ, but think of then the sacrament which points us to Christ. And do we have instruction here also that we are to live in wisdom? Yes, 1 Corinthians, don't we? Examine yourselves lest you partake unworthily. That's wisdom. It's a command. It's a wisdom command. It's tied to this growing and understanding, being transformed and walking out different than when you came in. Hear what Sinclair Ferguson has to say about this. He writes about the Lord's Supper. If we come while behaving in a manner that contradicts the gospel, then we are guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. For by our actions at the table, we are saying that Christ means everything to us. But by the way we live our lives, we are saying that Christ means nothing to us. That's kind of heavy, isn't it? That we come to the table and partake, testifying that Christ is everything. 
He's the nourishment for our souls. He's the source of life and salvation. And then we walk out, we continue living in the foolishness of sin. We're saying he doesn't mean anything to us. It's a heavy statement. But again, it's the statement of what happens when we don't listen to wisdom's call to the feast. Come, eat, eat worthily, examine yourself, but then eat and go out pursuing the wisdom of God, the life of service and love for the king. Calvin tied to this wisdom dimension of the Lord's Supper uh, two thoughts uh, that, um, that as we think about the Lord's Supper, this, this meal, and we think about the infinite nourishment of the food offered, it, it is nourishment of infinite value, isn't it? Christ, the infinite Son of God, second person of the Trinity, shed his blood of infinite value and offers himself to us. There, there's no nutritional guide that I can give you that will tell you the value of what we are about to partake of here by faith. I suppose I could look at what the bite you're going to eat will do to you physically, but there's no limit to the value of what it will bring to the one who partakes in faith by the working of the Spirit, because Christ is of infinite value. Calvin, therefore, distinguished two things that we should expect if we come even as weak and weary and pathetic, as self-aware of that, self-aware that we are, as wisdom says, simple and lacking in understanding, lacking in wisdom. If if we come saying, oh, I, I don't have any worth of myself. What should we expect as then we, in faith, look to God to feed us here on Christ? We should expect nothing less than, than spiritual enlightenment and spiritual empowerment. Spiritual enlightenment and spiritual empowerment. Spiritual enlightenment means that as we partake by faith, the Holy Spirit will shine the light of Christ into the dark corners of our souls. That He will awaken us not only to that initial saving faith, but, but believers, 
Haven't you found over the years? He keeps revealing to you deeper and deeper the knowledge of Christ, renewing you more and more each day to see Christ more clearly so that you can love him more deeply. The Spirit does this by revealing to us more and more the glory of Christ. More and more we see him rightly. More our darkness is exposed. And so at the Lord's table, God has given us a feast that works in connection with the word read and preached to tangibly remind us and drive us to the vision of our glorious Savior, the bread and the wine that is the body and blood of Christ that drives our faith to heaven where His physical body is living now at the right hand of God the Father. And by faith, the Spirit brings us there. And therefore, we should expect when we partake by faith of the Lord's Supper that we will go out seeing ourselves and the world more clearly as the Spirit enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ. But Calvin then would add spiritual empowerment. Not only does the Holy Spirit reveal to you Christ more and show you him more, but the Spirit also then strengthens you to live in wisdom's way. Proverbs 9 verse 6 is beyond your grasp. Forsake foolishness and live. That's beyond your grasp in and of yourself. But consider, consider how the Gospel of John begins. To those who by faith received him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. The Spirit enables us and empowers us to be what he has adopted us to be. To live as we are called to live. To forsake what we are called to forsake. And he does this by nourishing us in Christ. Christ. Christ is the nourishment your soul needs to strengthen you to live the way you should. Now, that, that's not to be saved by living the way you should. That's moralism. But having redeemed you to the uttermost, he continues to work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. That's wisdom's voice. It's the voice of our Savior calling us to this feast. Let me share just one very specific application of this thought from the Apostle John. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, he draws us to the body and blood of Christ, his death, 
and sacrifice to make a wisdom point about how we live. Hear the word of our God. By this, we know what love is because he laid down his life for us. So, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Do you hear wisdom's voice there? Come to the table. We find what love is here at the table. Jesus laid down his life for us. Therefore, wisdom says, be nourished in that knowledge and that experience of God's love. Go out and love one another. A wisdom feast. Or if the wisdom feast concept makes you squeamish about moralism, the sanctification feast. That's what, that's what wisdom's calling us to. The sanctification feast laid out for us by wisdom. Well, this feast is before us this evening. Christ's feast, wisdom's feast, received by faith alone on the pure free grace of Jesus Christ alone. His grace displayed here is sufficient to save sinners utterly, completely, and eternally. And it not only is nourishing for that salvation initially, but it's enough to strengthen you this week in the life of sanctification, following wisdom's way in the fear of the Lord. So as we turn now to this feast this evening together, let me leave you with a challenge from Sinclair Ferguson again. He writes, You cannot live with one foot in each camp. You cannot drink the cup of the blessing of Christ and then go and drink the cup consecrated to idols. If you belong to the world, you cannot belong to Christ and vice versa. It is a simple choice. It is a costly choice. It is also the choice we are called to make every time we sit at the Lord's Supper and receive the bread and wine. Will you live entirely and exclusively for the one who died for you or under the influence of the world that has rejected him? End quote. Beloved, do you hear wisdom's voice this evening calling you to this feast? Let us approach it. Let us approach the feast now briefly, each silently, examining our hearts, bringing them before the Lord. And then I'll lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving as we come to the table. Let's each meditate silently and pray to our God.